The sponsor for today's episode is Gravity Fit. Gravity Fit is a great feedback device, and they're helping to fill the white space between knowing what is happening in your golf swing and actually making a change. As motor learning and effective practice is heating up, Gravity Fit is making equipment and instructional content that fits squarely into this space by providing real-time feedback on posture and movement quality. PGA Tour winner Cameron Smith is a huge advocate for the products, using them for anything from gym work to pre-round warm-up to hitting full shots on the range. Cam realizes the importance of being provided with consistent feedback on his posture and movement, simply going through his usual routines or really trying to make a technical change. Cam knows there's a strong relationship between his body moving right and his ball striking and gravity fit is a key part of ensuring that he is on the right track. The feedback that Gravity Fit really gives is fantastic. Check out how it works. The best thing that you can do is watch a video. We have one over on our site, golfsciencelab.com slash gravity fit. We have a bunch of videos there. You can head over to gravityfit.com to learn more. They have an article on there so you can see how Cam incorporates Gravity Fit into his prep. You are listening to the Golf Science Lab podcast. My name is Cordy Walker, and I'm on a mission to figure out how to improve the way that we learn and get better at golf. I've been able to travel all over the world talking with leaders in the industry, from instructors to researchers to golfers themselves, learning how they're getting better at golf and what that means for you. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to the podcast, the first one of 2019. This year is going to be awesome. I've been working on new series, which are going to be a little bit out of the ordinary from what we've done in the past with some new perspectives, new focuses. I'm excited for that. So make sure to stay tuned, hang around, and thank you for everything that happened last year. We feel like we probably doubled the amount of folks listening to the podcast in 2018 and uh, a lot of people getting better at golf just with the emails and messages that I get from the info that you're learning from the podcast or the education courses and all that good stuff. So thank you for hanging around in 2018 and supporting the Golf Science Lab. Today on the podcast, uh, you know, we talk about making technical swing changes all the time in the golf industry. Do this power move for 10 more yards, do this thing in your backswing to hit 10 more greens, et cetera, et cetera. And today we're assuming that you know what you're doing and that you are making a swing change for a good reason. We're getting better in the industry, but I do think there's still this underlying issue that people are changing their golf swing for an aesthetic reason and not necessarily for a performance reason. So I think when you're looking at changing a golf swing, you need to first evaluate and assess what you have and what needs to change and not just rebuild the whole machine, but actually figure out those marginal gains that are going to give you the best return on your investment of time. So you have to have a good reason. If you're looking back for an answer to that question, we have a great episode with Mark Blackburn. He had some great thoughts on that. Make sure to go search for that. But today we are assuming that you know what you're doing. You're making a swing change and you want to do it more effectively. We're diving into some training circuits, how to best use feedback and examples with our guest, Zach Parker. So the last decade I've been in junior golf academies, I was the director of golf for the Gary Gilchrist Golf Academy. I was the director of golf for the Bishopsgate Golf Academy. And during that time, I got to see a ton of elite golfers go on to play collegiate golf. But I also saw a lot of golfers that were just getting introduced to the game. And they saw this rapid improvement, and then they plateaued. And so in that environment, I tried to figure out why were they plateauing. And that allowed me to try and figure out 
more about what actually makes an athlete learn and less about what makes a golf swing better, if you will. All right, so for illustration purposes for this episode, let's say that you wanna shallow the club. Popular concept, with lots of folks talking about it these days. How would you best go about doing that? And you might say, well, give me a large bucket of range balls in a couple hours, I'll have it ready to go for you, Cordy. Uh, I don't know about that. Shallowing the club, you need to focus on not isolating one specific position or trying to work on something statically. Shallowing the club is a dynamic move from the top of the backswing to left arm parallel to the ground. So when you're working on that movement, you might be working on understanding where the center of mass is. So you might tie a band to the club and you might actually pull the center of mass towards the ball. So the player has to overly shallow the club by externally rotating their trail shoulder. Or you might work on something as simple as lead wrist angles and helping them start to understand that there is a massive difference between radial deviating and ulnar deviating the lead wrist. What kind of training circuits or how do you incorporate some of these training circuits, spacing variability, some of those concepts when going down a path like that? Yeah, I think when you start to try and make a make a swing change, it's very easy to understand what you want to change. The challenging part is understanding how you're going to change it. And to really be able to retain your learnings, you need to incorporate spacing and variability into your training. So if you build an effective learning circuit, you might only do one or two reps where you're actually isolating the skill of trying to shallow the club. And then you might go and work on a different skill or you might punt. And then when you come back, what you're having to do when you get back into the station where you're working on shallowing the club, you're having to recall those mental representations from previous experiences. And then you're actually having to relearn the skill. And that's really what you're trying to do when you're training. You're not trying to change the movement pattern in one rep or two reps. You're trying to make sure that regardless of the situation, you're able to recall the movements, the kinesthetic feels, or maybe even the cognitive thoughts that are going to allow you to shallow the club. And I think the best way to do that is through creating circuits that force you to have to move, come in and out of that learning environment, and just really challenge your recall. Can you give an example of how that plays out or like how you do that with a, a student? Could you tell a story or something sure. like that? Yeah. Say it's you, Cordy, and you want to learn how to shallow the golf club. And we also know that one of the key areas for you to improve is 20 to 40 yard pitching. And you're a great driver of the golf ball. So that's a skill that you want to make sure that you're continuing to accentuate. So a circuit might look like you have to hit two drives with five to 10 yard fade and you, you've given yourself a corridor and you're not allowed to move on from that station until you hit two successful five to 10 yard fades. And then you would go into a station where you're working on shallowing the club. Maybe you're working with that band that we talked about where you're pulling the center of mass either towards the target or away from the target. Or maybe you're working on something as simple as a freeze drill where then you start the downswing and you're really aware of what the lower body's doing. And you do two you do two reps in that station and then you go and you hit a 10 yard pitch and then you come right back and you do two more reps in that shallowing station go back and hit another pitch 
and then you go to the driver again, and then you go back through. And while it seems complex and it seems like you're moving all over the place, if you effectively set up this circuit, you could you could do it all in a in a bay at a driving range. But just the fact that you're moving from skill to skill is forcing you to have to improve your ability to learn and relearn the skill. So when do you focus on that technical change that you're making? And, and when do you focus on successful completion of the task that you have set out for yourself, like in, in that example? So I think they're they're never separate. And I think that's a big deal in golf right now, right? You have you have the performance guys and you have the technical guys and everybody wants to say there's one way. The reality is if you're trying to get better at something, you're constantly trying to master that craft. So I believe that there's technique or technical competencies, form work, whatever you want to call it, need to be incorporated into everything that you do. So there are completions inside of the training circuit, but those completions are really just to to add some sort of need for grit, need for resilience, or they could just be a space filler for time. Because really what you're trying to do is you're trying to reduce the number of reps and increase the quality of those reps. I see that working really well for a, a good player. What about the folks that don't have much skill, that they're struggling to, you know, make consistent you know, good contact, right? Let's say, you know, one out of every three times are able to hit the ball well. So a higher handicap player, does this concept still apply to them or would you put them in a different type of uh, circuit? I think you flex a circuit. Well, I know you flex a circuit regardless of the player, but it's actually maybe even more important for the novice golfer because what happens in, I can go back to the time where I was a young teaching pro just outside New York City and I was teaching the members and I felt great about 35 minutes into the lesson, like, wow, I fixed this guy's golf swing. I'm really an amazing coach. And then an hour and a half later, I would, I would see them out on the golf course and the movement pattern looked absolutely nothing like what it looked like at that 35 minute mark. And the reason why is it's really easy to groove something. And even if you're a poor golfer, like you say, and you can't, have consistent contact, you can do something consistent if it becomes somewhat repetitive and easy. If I asked you to do a mass problem, the first time you're going to have to actually have some sort of thought process to answer the question. The next 10, 1500 times that I ask you the question, it's just redundant and almost annoying. And that's the same thing that unfortunately the novice golfers do on the range. So I would actually say it's more important for a beginning golfer to move around and they will be frustrated. They will not enjoy hitting it inconsistent, but the reality is they hit it inconsistent and you need to expose that because they have this false sense of competency when they're on the range and then they get to the course and they can't figure out why they're, range game doesn't go to the course. Well, the reality is it's just a different game because never on the course, well, unfortunately for those novice golfers, maybe they do, but very rarely do you hit the same shot twice in a row. Yet that's all they do on the range. The second aspect of making a swing change we need to talk about is feedback. There are many ways that we can get feedback from a, a training aid. 
from an instructor giving you a, some type of verbal feedback, using a, a video and referencing that, uh, a launch monitor, 3D, etc. The list really, it goes on, all kinds of feedback. And often the issue isn't the type of feedback, but the issue comes along with how we use that and are we becoming dependent on it? I've been pretty blessed for the last decade in the sense that all my clients were long-term clients. I dealt with people on a nine to 12 month basis and I saw them multiple times a week. So I didn't have to create some sort of magical change within an hour. So my feedback just naturally because of the time that I had with the athletes was able to be different. But what I have really figured out is the way that I provide feedback in the the way that an athlete needs to get feedback is the same, whether it's a one-off hour lesson or it's a full year program. And what the coach needs to do is the coach needs to make sure that they allow the player to have some sort of implicit learning. Golf is a solution-based game, yet so often in instruction, coaches, parents, whoever is there providing feedback is is actually impeding the player's learning because they're providing their feedback instead of allowing the athlete to reflect on the shot, to have their own feedback, and to then try and make a, make a change. Whether that's the right intervention or the wrong intervention, we never know. But I think too often we limit the player's ability to be solution-based because all we do is talk. So when we talk about feedback, I think feedback needs to be set up around trying to take cognitive thoughts and make them into kinesthetic feels. So whether you're using a feedback device like the gravity fit or you're using a functional movement tubing or you're using TrackMan or a 3D capture system, the goal isn't to look at the numbers or to look at the video after every shot. The goal might be to hit the shot and then try and guess what the numbers would be. And then without looking, then try and do something different and change those numbers. So you're actually using the feedback device to help you become a better coach for your own game when you're out on the golf course and there are no feedback devices. The only way that you lock in that feel is if you take away that feel and then have to try and recreate that feel as many times as possible. So if you're trying to build a super strong bicep, you can't just do bicep curls endlessly every day. The muscle will fatigue, the muscle at some point will no longer grow, right? Whether we believe in the old school Arnold Schwarzenegger way of like, arms one day, back one day, whatever, or if we're into the new concept of strength training where it's whole body every day, but you can't just isolate one muscle and hammer it all day, every day. And that's the same thing with how we use feedback devices wrong. If you have a track man in every single shot, you have to look at the track man to know what your face to path ratio was. Then you're actually not learning what the ball flight is telling you or what you're feeling you've just become dependent on the track man and in my journey through golf when i started playing every coach became dependent on video and then every coach became dependent on 3d 
And then every coach has become dependent on track man. And ultimately what I would like to see in golf is I would like to see every athlete become dependent on their own experiences to allow them to perform to the best of their ability. Let's look at a, a couple stories here to kind of wrap this up. Zach works with uh, Gravity Fit. It's a fantastic feedback device. They've sponsored support of the program. Really appreciate them. He uses that a lot. And uh, here are a couple stories of how he's effectively using that feedback, effectively using circuits to help people make swing changes a little bit faster. I was speaking to a, a PGA Tour player last night, and he's worked really hard on trying to not have this collapse at the top of the backswing. So whether you call it a overrun of the arms or you call it, you know, too much wrists, cock, whatever, whatever terminology we want to use. But this, this specific player wanted to increase his width at the top of the backswing, not in the transition like the previous player, but at the top of the backswing. And we, we faced on with the, with the gravity fit on and we wrapped his trail shoulder to go into excessive internal rotation. So we wrapped the band across the top of the forearm and then underneath and connected it to the thumb so that that shoulder was excessively being pulled into internal rotation. And when he went to the top of the backswing, all of a sudden he could feel how his elbow was going to fly. He was going to probably get it across the line. And he said to me, you know, what's crazy is I start, I really understand now how I need to engage my right side and to be technical he was probably engaging serratus interior but for him he just felt like he was he called it packing the scap and so he felt like he was really retracting scap at the top and he was shorter and i didn't say anything and tell him that he was right or wrong we just went through a bunch of drills where he was trying to feel that pattern always being pulled out of the position so he was having to overwork his flawed pattern. So we were pulling him excessively into that flawed pattern. And when he, when he took it off for the first time after three reps and he made a swing and he had a net, so it was pretty sweet in his house. He wasn't only just wide, the club pitched completely different in the transition and his hand path changed. And he just turned to me and he said, oh my God. And without me wanting to respond and be like, this is incredible. He said to me, Zach, for the first time, I understand what people mean about core engagement throughout the backswing. I thought it was abdominal flexion, and that was actually causing me to go into this flawed pattern because he was working so hard to stay like flexed through the obliques at setup that about left arm parallel to the ground in the backswing, he couldn't maintain that flex anymore if he wanted to rotate. So he actually disengaged his abs crazy extension of the the upper back and the lead shoulder just went crazy into internal rotation and i never told him all those things and why would you he's a pga tour player and very successful but what he started to feel was this muscular sling from the back of his trail scap all the way down into his pelvic floor and he imagined it as a rubber band and he said instead of it going crazy short at setup and then getting really long at the top of the backswing, I'm now able to keep it the same tension throughout the swing, regardless of how much it lengthens or doesn't lengthen. And to me, that was 
that was awesome because this guy's very successful and does this for a living yet the feedback device allowed him to gain an incredible awareness of his own swing that hopefully has a tremendous impact on his performance this year so now the the next challenge is to get that into a, a training circuit not to become re reliant on the feedback but to generate an environment where that skill transfers to the course for sure and just just like any other player now this is a guy that makes his living playing golf so the worst thing that we could do is make him think that he needs the gravity fit to play good what he needs to play good is to understand his body more so everything that we're going to do with him in circuits is going to be away from the ball movement drills trying to recreate the feel and then when he goes in to actually hit shots the goal is going to be for him to constantly change the force that's being applied so while we wrapped his trail shoulder to go excessively into internal rotation and that was kind of the epiphany moment for him we would be wrapping the lead shoulder to go into external rotation so he then had to figure out how he could improve the trail side while there was a force on the lead side so the whole time we're going to be trying to reintroduce different feels and different forces so that his awareness is so good regardless of if it's you know the last hole of the tour championship or it's this week on the driving range using the gravity fit i've had a an athlete that i've been blessed to coach since he was about 11 years old and we've come through the junior golf academies together he now plays at the university of arkansas and he's very successful and i feel like i'm a decent golf coach and before using the gravity fit we were constantly working on helping him gain width in the transition and improve his lead wrist angle and i tried everything <laughs> and we definitely used the learning sciences and we definitely used circuits so i felt like he was effectively learning but when i put the gravity fit on him for the first time i didn't say anything for about 10 minutes and i just let him hit shots two or three reps then take it off two or three movement drills take it off try and hit a ball and at the end of that 10 or 15 minutes he looked at me and he said zach this is the first time ever i've been able to feel the center of mass of the golf club we've talked about it since i was young i've evolved my body's changed i've become better at a lot of things but the second that i put this on I started to really understand why the center of mass needed to go up and behind me in the transition so that my lead wrist, he calls it bow, but obviously ulnar deviate. And in that moment, I realized, holy smokes, was I missing something? Did we do something wrong? And then in our conversations at dinner that night, it wasn't that we missed anything. It was that he didn't have the ability to feel it. He was hearing the things that I was saying. He was looking at the video. He was seeing the TrackMan numbers. He was evaluating his 3D data, and he was very aware of what he needed to do. But it was all a cognitive thought process, and the gravity fit allowed him to start to feel what I meant by, you know, retracting the scap in the transition and allowing there to be additional width. And as a result, his his swing has changed in the last five months 
more than more than we've ever seen it. And it's not because of a new concept. It's because he's now able to have that concept be a feel that he's able to actually use while in competition. So probably his greatest temptation would be just to use that feedback from the gravity fit all the time, right? Just every shot because it feels so good, right? Oh yeah. It's, it's now. Yeah. So, so you had to have a conversation with him, I'm assuming of like, don't use this every time, (laughs) like mix it up. Yeah. And so what's cool about the gravity fit is the handles can just hang. So he puts it on and he takes two reps in his practice swing and then he takes it off to hit the shot. And then it's his job to evaluate how close was he to the rep without a ball to the rep with the ball. And then he might do one rep with it on, one rep with it off and start to see, can he narrow the gap between when he's using the gravity fit and when he's not? And what he's starting to see is that he's actually more effective when he doesn't have the gravity fit on because he's more aware of what his body needs to do. And that's been the big epiphany for me. It's like the device didn't make him better. It primed and activated his muscles so that he could then step up to the golf ball, have a clear understanding of what he was about to do and be automated instead of, unfortunately, for a a pretty long time in his career, he was um, pretty cognitive over the golf ball. Thank you so much to our guest, Zach Parker, for coming on the podcast, spending some time talking about what he's working on and what he's learned over over the years. Uh, Really appreciate this conversation, and it's one that hopefully you took away some some good thoughts from. Make sure to check out what he's doing and follow him on Instagram and Twitter. Say hello. And if you want to learn more about Gravity Fit, uh, they've got some good videos on their Instagram of how golfers are using it uh, with some golf swings and some education. Head over there. Check that out. If you're listening to this and you are not subscribed to the podcast, make sure to do that so you can stay tuned to everything we have going on in 2019 and beyond. Head over to golfsciencelab.com slash insider. If you are not an insider, sign up. Just put in your email. It's free. Get updated on everything first that we are documenting. This episode was hosted and written by me, Cordy Walker. You can follow me on Twitter at Cordy Walker and was edited, mixed, and produced by Just Hit Publish Productions. 